If you're new here, I'm Zach, one of the pastors. It's so glad that you're here with us. We'd love to get to know you. Um, we are, before we dive into God's word, I want to give us a quick plug about something you heard last week. And you'll hear at the end of the service too. But I want to just give a plug for this as well. We have a curriculum at the Vine called Porterbrook. And Porterbrook is more of an intensive nine-month discipleship course that really seeks to um, flesh out what we mean by gospel community mission in the life of the church. And so we'd love everybody to be able to take it if they can. Now we realize that's not the case. But um, in starting in September, we are going to be uh, launching the nine-month program on Sunday morning. So you could come for an hour and do Porterbrook and come for an hour and do church. Um, so trying to mess with the uh, scheduling of Porterbrook to maybe make it more available to more people. And so if you're available, we'd love to have you take this course. Now what's really cool is there's nine courses and they're each four weeks long. And in the past we said you had to sign up for the whole thing. Uh, it's all or nothing. But we've decided to change that up as well and see if this will work. Where if you want to do the first class and that's it, called Gospel Change, led by my wife and Houston Tucker, uh, in the month of September, you can just do that. Um, there's going to be one on evangelism. There's going to be one on the storyline of scripture. There's going to be one on how to open your Bible and help one another in the church. Uh, kind of like a counseling course. Um, if you want to just do those individual ones, you can do that. Uh, and we'll let you know what's coming in October and November and December in terms of the different offerings. This first one is gospel change. Basically, how does the gospel help me grow in holiness? How does the truth of the gospel help me understand who I am in Christ and live out that identity? Super foundational. I want the whole, I want the whole church to take this. Now, I know that's not going to happen, but it's, it's a really big deal. So you can focus in on the ones that you want to, and we just encourage you to make use of that. We need you to sign up, okay? If you're going to be able to do this first one, we need you to sign up and do that at the, at the website on the sign up tab, okay? Just for our preparations. All right, so that's the Porterbrook plug. Let's look at our Bibles this morning, Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. And I will just read the text for us this morning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there's two challenging questions right out of the gate that I think I want to have us seek to understand in reference to this text. The first one is this. Look at verse 21. Is entrance into heaven works-based? You earn salvation by, quote, doing the will of my Father who is in heaven. See that in verse 21? That's the first question. Number two, how is it that God uses people to do supernatural things that are not Saved by him. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? In your name. And do many mighty works in your name. How does that work? So I want to try to tackle these two questions today 
and then we're going to make a couple applications and then we'll be done. Let's, let's start with that first one. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. So contrast here, you feel the contrast? It's not just what you say that's enough. Okay? Jesus is just simply saying it's not just about what you say. It's not just about the words that come out of your mouth. There's a lot of people that will have a correct verbal proclamation about truth. A, a correct statement about their spiritual associations as it, as it pertains to our triune God. That on the last day will not prove to be believers. So it's not just what you say, but it's also what you do. So if your deeds don't match your words, it tends to follow that we might want to question your words, right? This is not hard to, to figure out. If there's a husband who says to his wife over and over again, verbally proclaims over and over again, I love you, I love you, I love you. But the deeds are different. The deeds are I cheat on you, I steal from you. And I speak horrible criticism about you to others. If that was the case, you would stop and go, I'm hearing this. I'm seeing this. There's a disconnect there that makes me think that what you say isn't really that true. Like we all can understand that. And it's the same with the Lord. That's what he's getting at here. We're, but hear this. We're never saved by our works, but our works show that we're saved. You feel the difference? Huge distinction. We're never saved by our works, but our works show that we are saved. Jesus says here, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. There's a doing that's important. But let's ask this as we kind of dig a step deeper here. What is the doing of God's will for those that are imperfect, for those that sin, the Bible teaches over and over again simply that it's repentance. It's repentance. That's the key here. It's not that doing God's will means that you have to be perfect. God knows you can't achieve that on your own. Right? That's why Jesus had to come and die. Right? We needed a perfection that we couldn't manufacture on our own. The ladder of good deeds was too high to climb. We get real tired. So he climbed down it for us and gave us his perfection, his climbing ability, if you'll endure the analogy, and just granted that to us as a gift by faith. So that, that's the heart of the graciousness that you see in the gospel that if you see it, believe it, come to Jesus, he invades your heart and changes your heart such that you want to follow him because you love him. So in light of that, what is God's will that we're called to do? It's just simply repentance when we fail, turning to Jesus in light of the facts of the historical gospel that he will forgive us and change us by his spirit. So I don't want anybody leaving here today unnecessarily having a weight of condemnation unless you don't know Jesus. So apart from Jesus, we do stand condemned. That's just what the Bible says. That's what Jesus himself said. Our sins will condemn us on the last day. But it doesn't have to be that way. So the call is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. See him as beautiful 
and worthy to be treasured and trusted. So, summary. We're not saved by our works. Don't read the, verse 21 that way. But our works will show that we have genuine love for God because of what he's done for us. You feel that? What Jesus is getting at here in verse 21, that's kind of like disclaimer aside, just theological clarification. Okay, want to make sure. But what he's getting at here in verse 21 is that there are many people in our lives that will give lip service to their faith in God. That will give the appearance that they're genuine believers by what they say. But on the last day, that will be known to not be true. Okay? They were never genuine. They didn't really do the true will of the Father. Their motives were jacked up. Their heart was not really changed. In the past few weeks, some of you have probably been brought up to speed about the tragic news of a guy named Joshua Harris. And for those of you who don't know who Joshua Harris is, um, he's a guy that made a real splash in Christian culture in the last couple, I would say mainly in the 90s. Um, but he's written a ton of books, sold a lot of books. He wrote a book, he was made famous by a book called um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And he's written other books that sold a lot of copies. He's a pastor of a big church, over a thousand people on the East Coast. Started a conference, um, spoke at conferences. And he recently came out and deconverted. He basically renounced his faith and said, you know, in his 40, he's about my age, uh, 42, 43, he says, I'm no longer a Christian. And that rocked a lot of people's world. Thousands of people touched by his ministry. How does that happen? Like, what, what's going on with him? Like, these, are, these are the questions we ask, right? There's a guy named Mark Driscoll who started or helped start the Acts 29 network that we're a part of as a church. And he wrote even more books. And his church was huge, way bigger than Joshua Harris's church. And he's been on national TV and spoke at all the mega conferences. And around five years ago, for a number of reasons, he was removed from his leadership role in the church. And he's removed from his leadership role in Acts 29. He said he was a Christian. He wasn't living like it. No repentance. Now I want us to think about those scenarios with this text in mind. The Bible clearly says, if we can see it on the screen, that on the last day, there's going to be people that seem like they're Christians, but their actions prove that they never really were. But here's the deal. The Bible says on the last day, right? So the question for us is, are we in the last day right now? We're not. The point is... We don't know who these people are that Jesus is speaking of. Only he knows. Because we don't have the perspective of the last day. We only have the perspective of right now. Right? So is this text going to be true of Joshua Harris? Maybe, maybe not. His story is not finished yet. He's still alive. Maybe for another 40 years or so. We'll see. Is this text going to come true of Mark Driscoll? Maybe, maybe not. His story's not done yet. He's still alive. He might have another 40 to 50 years. 
We'll see. So I think it's a good caution for us to remember that this text is true. Jesus spoke it, but we don't have his vantage point. You with me? God is the only one who knows who these people are. We don't. Their story is not finished yet. Whoever you're looking at right now, and you're tempted to say, yeah, this text is going to be them. You don't know that. You don't know that. Their story's not finished yet. It might be. It might not be. So let's be careful that they won't pronounce judgment on people when that's not our right. We don't have the ability to pronounce final judgment. Now, we can make judgments. I preached on that a few weeks ago. But when it comes to final judgment, that's only God's right. That's not ours. We don't have that vantage point. We don't have that vision. We are not sovereign. Okay? There may yet be a day of repentance, and we pray that way, right? Let me just give you a biblical example of this. Many, many centuries before this was spoken, there was this guy named Joseph. And Joseph was kind of an arrogant dude. He was one of 12. And he liked to um, flaunt his gifting to his brothers. And as a result, his brothers hated him for it. So much so that they decided to kill him. And they throw him in a pit. And they change their minds sort of like, oh, let's not kill him. Uh, instead, we'll just leave him in the pit until we see these slave traders come along and these slave traders are willing to buy him. So we'll sell him to these slave traders. Now, if you would have been around those brothers at that moment, now these brothers are the son of Jacob. God spoke audibly to Jacob. They should have known better. They, 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 they were like close to Yahweh in ways that maybe most of us in some sense haven't experienced, Right? Their profession of faith should have been rock solid, but they were not acting like it as they throw their brother in a pit and sell him to slavery, right? And so if you were had the vantage point of those brothers at that moment, you'd be like, these dudes are messed up. They look like they're ready to, you know, be done. God will pronounce final judgment on them. This is a horrific deed. 14 chapters later, we see them experience massive repentance. Massive repentance. And the Bible says that God actually used their wickedness to bring about his plan. Imagine that. Genesis 50, you intended it for evil. God intended it for good. For the saving of many lives. That's what the Bible says. So the point is this. Their story wasn't finished yet. There was a day of repentance for those guys. So we got to be careful with this text that we are like identifying actual people, okay? Jesus says it will happen. We just don't know who those people. He doesn't name names, does he? Right? All right. So let's keep reading about what these people are like. Let's look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this one's a little tr trickier, isn't it? Question is this. How is it that God chooses to use people to do supernatural things that are truly not saved by him? How is it that there can be the appearance of power in ministry... With no true heart change. How does that work? 
Like this one can kind of rock our categories, right? This, this one is mysterious. But let me remind you that this is actually quite normal, biblically speaking. I'll give you an Old Testament example, a New Testament example. Old Testament example, the first king of, of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was a guy named Saul. And the Bible says that Saul experienced the supernatural gifting of the Spirit. It says the Spirit of God filled him and he prophesied. So he experienced the supernatural gifting of God like Jesus is talking about here through prophecy, words of prophecy. And at the end of his life, the Bible presents it, seems to be clear that he died as an unbeliever. New Testament example, probably even more clear, Judas. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. Look at what the Bible says about Judas and the other 11, Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So Jesus gave spiritual authority and power to Judas. The Bible says that Judas was predestined to do what he did. He was predestined to betray Jesus. He was not chosen by God. And yet he had profound spiritual power in those three years. So much so, two chapters later, the disciples come back to Jesus and they're just like, Jesus, it's amazing. The demons submit to us in your name. We cast them out. They experienced the supernatural power of God. So the Bible certainly has a category for Matthew 7.22. It is possible to have supernatural power ministry and not truly be known by God or saved by God. It's possible to do charismatic things in the name of Jesus and never be truly known by Jesus. Crazy blessings can flow from somebody's ministry who you think is a believer and will prove to not even be. And I don't know how this works. The Bible doesn't explain it. It just assumes it, okay? Biblically speaking, this can be quite normal. Now listen, there's people in this church that have unique gifting of the Spirit. And in some sense, gifting that we might think of as very unique, more supernatural, maybe a little flashier, things that you can't really explain, right? I wasn't raised in a church. My parents weren't a part of a church that saw the supernatural gifting of the Spirit happen very often. It wasn't taught about. Um, but my dad had an experience a few years before he died that was very, very unique in terms of experiencing the supernatural power of the Spirit working through someone. So he was invited to go to a prayer meeting with a guy who, I don't even know how you would totally think about it biblically, but he had a prayer ministry basically where he would receive words from God about someone and then pray for that person because of what he knew about them. And so this guy was from a foreign country. And my dad is as like conservative, white bread, Lutheran as it gets. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have a category for these things at all. But he went to, um, he went to uh, this prayer meeting with this guy. And this 
and he had him pray for him. And this guy knew things about my dad that literally like myself, my sister, and my mom were the only ones that knew things about him, these things about him. So much so that there were some kind of sensitive matters in my dad's life that this dude who's never met from a foreign country, it was like, he said, it was like, um, he explained it to my dad, it's like this, I just get, it's almost like words on a teleprompter and I just receive about this person and then I just pray about them based on what I receive. So he knew some extremely private things about my dad. So much so he didn't want to say it in public, in a public prayer, he pulled him aside and prayed for him one-on-one. Like, I don't have a category for that. I mean, I do, it's the Holy Spirit working through someone. But, like, I've never experienced that. My dad certainly never experienced that. It's an amazing, moving, powerful experience to be prayed for in a, in, a, in a way that's clearly supernatural like that. But I think the point of that or any other experience that you have similar to that, I mean, there's people in, in this church that have unique gifting like that that you might not know about. Um, But here's the point from this text. Don't be too impressed. Don't get too excited about that. Now, don't be too jaded or skeptical either. But based on what we're seeing this morning in this text, don't get too impressed. Why? Well, because here's what the Bible says. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. It'll be on the screen. Here's what Paul says about some of the gifting that Jesus is talking about people having that don't even know him. It says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now listen to this. Listen to what he lays out here. I mean, this is provocative. Someone speaking in um, language that's not their own whether it's a prayer language or actually given uh, speaking in, in, a, in a foreign language that they have no knowledge of, like the book of Acts. That's unique. That's powerful. Uh, if I have prophetic powers, if you see someone prophesy, it comes true, you need knowledge about things that they shouldn't have, and you see that, that's unique. That's, that's amazing. Understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. That's, that's a lot of mystery and knowledge to understand, right? All faith, I'm moving mountains with my faith. I give away all I have, deliver my body. Like I'm going to lay down my life for someone out of generosity. Like this is, this is the kind of gifting that you would stand up and notice and be like, dude, I want to go to that church. I want to hang out with that guy. I want to hang out with that gal. And Paul's saying, hold on, time out, time out. It's not all about those things. Because if that guy goes home or that gal goes home and speaks horribly to their spouse, means nothing. If he verbally abuses, physically abuses, or whatever, his kids, it means nothing. If you don't have love, all this amazing gifting where that'll build a megachurch, it means nothing. So don't be too impressed. That person might be a sham if there's no love. Don't follow that person. Look for love. Just look for normal run-of-the-mill, everyday, it's still supernatural, by the way. It's still a working of the Holy Spirit, even though we don't feel about it that way. But you just look for that normal love. That's who you want to associate with. And if you get some 
flash your gifting of the Spirit, great. But at base, it's got to be love. I mean, just think about what we, we learned last week in Ben's message. Talking about false teachers. What did Jesus say? How are you going to discern them? Do you discern false teachers based on whether they can do the flashy spiritual gifts or not? Nope. He says you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. Well, what does that mean? You're going to pick them out by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. Well, the Bible says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is kind of normal stuff, right? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not necessarily the flashy stuff. It's the, quote, normal stuff. It's the everyday stuff. It's the long obedience in the same direction of this. So just because someone can do things that are pretty unique in terms of their spiritual gifting, whether it's healing or speaking in tongues or words of knowledge or, or prophecy, Jesus and Paul basically say, who cares if this isn't true? Like, I've been around ministry for over two decades now. And I've been around dudes that can build mega churches and sell lots and lots of books. They have very unique gifting. And a lot of those guys aren't in ministry anymore. So don't be impressed by flashy gifts in the short term. Here's what I want you to be impressed by. I want you to be impressed by the guy or the gal in ministry who stays married for 50 years and they still hold hands. I want you to be impressed by the guy or gal in ministry for 40 years who have a track record of gentleness and be quick to listen and slow to speak and quick to repent when they fail. I want you to be impressed by the guy or gal in ministry who serves the nations over the course of decades and doesn't need to tweet or Instagram about it. I want you to be impressed by the guy or gal in ministry who doesn't burn through friendships one after another. I want you to be impressed by the guy or gal in ministry who easily repents and asks for forgiveness over the course of decades. And listen, if those people have some more what we would call supernatural or flashy gifts as well, great, awesome. Praise God for the blessing that that person is in the local church, for the building up of the body. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we're looking to align ourselves with perfect people. That's impossible. All of us are disqualified if that's the standard, right? It just means that we're looking for the fruit of the Spirit over time with patience more than we're looking for flashiness of gifting on the surface. Because Jesus has said this morning that a lot of those people aren't even genuine. And you'll know them by their fruit. And if you, if you look below the surface of their outward gifting, you're going to see lawlessness. You're not going to see fruit of the Spirit. It, again, it doesn't mean that we reject supernatural, however you want to classify it, gifting. It just means don't be too impressed. Don't be too impressed. It just means that if gifting isn't also accompanied by the fruit of the Spirit, it might be coming from someone you don't want to align with. All right, let me summarize. Number one, 
What is Jesus saying in verse 21? He's saying just because someone says Lord, Lord about Jesus doesn't mean they're genuine believers. Look to their lives. This doesn't mean we're saved by works. It means that over the course of time, our works will tell you what someone really believes. Number two, just because someone exhibits supernatural gifting doesn't mean they're genuine either. Again, look at their life. Do they exhibit the fruit of the Spirit over a long period of time? Now, let me close with this. Jesus says in verse 23, away from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a scary, scary thing. And there's probably two groups of people in the room right now. Some of you may be wondering, is this me? And some of you need to have that wake-up call, I think. I really do. You should wonder. There hasn't been a genuine conversion. Your mouth and your life say different things. There's no desire for repentance. Deep down, you just want to keep doing the works of lawlessness. You kind of like the church thing and maybe get some relationships out of it, get some warm fuzzies on a Sunday morning. You like kind of hanging out in the environment of church, but Jesus doesn't really have your heart. It's more of a means to an end. I'll just get some blessings out of the Christian community, and, but I really want to keep doing my own thing. These words could be said of you on the last day. And what he says that many people will have this experience. That's what he says in this, in this verse. So, so test your heart. When, when you consider the facts of the historical gospel of the, of the cross and the resurrection, you hear that news, what, what do you feel? Is that desirable? Is that like a treasure that you would sell anything to get that? Or do you desire sin more? Do you desire your personal autonomy more? Others of you need a, a word of assurance, though. And you're overly introspective. And the standard is perfection, and you're painfully aware that you are far, far short from that. But hear the, the good news of the gospel. The Father sees you as perfect. After you come to Jesus as Lord, turn from your sin, turn towards Jesus and, and Him as your all-satisfying solution for restlessness and sin and, and how you're running after all this stuff to, to, to feed this ache in your heart and it never works. Jesus says, come to me and streams of living water will flow from you. And you hear that and you say, yes. You have heard that and you said, yes. He is what you need. He's what you want. He is what you desire. So if that's you this morning, you should walk out of here, not with a weight of condemnation, but with a, with a joy of assurance. So lift your head high, not in arrogance, but in confidence. That the God of the universe has welcomed me through what has happened in history, and I am his, and he says, my name is written my name is written on his hands. My, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. 
He will never cast you aside. These scary words of Matthew 7 will not be said of you. This is the truth. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Some of us need to discern this morning where we're at. Lord, would you help us? We ask for your help by the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would um, make us a kind of community that just radiates with the fruit of your Spirit. And after the fruit of your Spirit is clear that there would be gifting of the Spirit that you say has been given for the, for the building up, for the strengthening of the local church. And so we just pray that would happen at the Vine. We pray that would happen at every other church in Madison and around the world that names you as Lord. And so would you do that, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.